It's, uh, it's good to be together, uh, to worship the Lord together. And uh, this morning, uh, we find ourselves um, continuing in our series with the Gospel of John. And as we are nearing um, the climax of God, John's Gospel, uh, Jesus' crucifixion, um, we find that uh, lots of things have happened um, in the last 24 hours with Jesus as he has celebrated the Passover meal, as he has taught them about many things and uh, shared many words of encouragement with them as though they were going to be um, his final words and his final message to his disciples. We've seen the betrayal of Judas that has happened. We've seen uh, those things there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And last week, uh, we saw um, an illegal um, sham of a trial um, that happened uh, at the high priest's home. And today, we're going to continue that story. As those things were happening overnight, we're going to continue that story as they began early the next morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn uh, with us to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and we're going to begin uh, to read um, the passage um, this morning. Thanks, Ryan and Greg, for doing that. So John 18, starting in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. 
When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, in an Aramaic, Galbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. Let's, uh, let's just pray before uh, we, we dive in here. God, we um, are grateful again for today and uh, the grace of which um, you extend to us and the mercy of which uh, we've received you know, by the hands of Jesus. God, today as um, we read and talk about um, your word, um, our request is that you would help us to understand that uh, we would find uh, your word to be true where it says um, that you um, seek to transform us um, into the image of Jesus Christ. Um, little by little, help us to be more like Jesus. So God, today, may you remove um, distractions from our hearts and our minds. God, may um, you do the work um, that you would have. And God, may your will be done. For it's in Christ's um, great um, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, keep um, your Bibles open. We'll be kind of flying through um, this passage. And um, a couple things that uh, my hope is that we see today is first that uh, we see that just like Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven, um, not here on earth. I also hope um, that we will be strengthened um, to stand in a world that seems to have gone mad and um, that we would be people uh, much like Jesus, um, to, no matter the consequence that we would be people who speak the truth. So as we look at um, this first part of this passage in verses 28 um, through 32, it's a little bit um, ironic, the fact that uh, the chief priests here, as they are standing outside of the governor's um, house, um, that um, they want to remain clean so that they might be able to celebrate Passover. And here they are just hours before um, have conducted a trial of which was illegal. Um, they have, um, again, th that trial happened in the middle of the night. <laughs> Those things weren't supposed to happen. 
So they conducted an, an illegal trial, um, and they did not allow um, others to speak um, on Jesus' behalf, um, as though Jesus needed it. <laughs> and uh, here they are uh, making accusations about Jesus that are completely um, false, and they know it. But yet, here they are, refusing to even go inside of um, the governor's place um, so that they might uh, remain ceremonially, ceremonial clean. Um, also, we see a couple of things uh, here in uh, verse 29, where Pilate asks, uh, what accusation do you bring against this man? And it's interesting to note that here in the beginning of all of this, they don't even give him an answer. Um, their answer in verse 30 is, if this man were not doing evil, uh, we wouldn't have delivered him over to you. They don't um, say uh, what Jesus' claims. They don't um, say why it is, what happened at their trial. Um, their response um, in the beginning is simply, uh, we, he's evil, and you just need to believe us. Uh, or else, why else would we be here? As we move on uh, to verses 33 through 38, uh, we see in verse 33 that Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? So as we look in some of the other passages, which much of John, as we've discovered, um, is exclusive to the Gospel of John, um, much of what happens um, isn't repeated in the other Gospels, but here uh, we see uh, many of these things repeated, and we can also find a few more uh, details. So Pilate asks him in verse 33 of uh, John chapter 18, are you the king of the Jews? If we were to turn to Matthew 27, uh, we see in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even um, a single charge so that the governor was greatly amazed. We see in Luke chapter 23 in verse 1, we see it says that then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. We see in Luke 23 that their accusations are that he was misleading our nation that he was forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and that he is saying that he is Christ, a king. Which is interesting, we find at least two things uh, that are not true. Um, that Jesus was misleading their nation. Uh, the accusations begin to fly. We also see that uh, their claim is that Jesus was forbidding them to give tribute to Caesar. We get to the heart of a lot of things, which is um, power and money. <laughs> they make these accusations. And I think, you know, as we consider um, our own culture, we find that there is, especially in our culture and today, uh, there's this great dichotomy between what is truth and what is a lie. And we find that oftentimes people confuse um, these things. And it's really easy to come up with examples, isn't it? About when people say things that um, aren't true, but they claim are true. And especially in these kinds of situations, again, when uh, power and money are involved. We can see these things in many examples um, in our political process, can we not? We can see them in our workplaces where the truth um, is um, purported to be something other than what it is. 
We can see it on our TVs. We can see it in our news. We can see it in um, shows or movies that we might watch just for entertainment where the truth doesn't matter and the lies must be embraced at all costs. We see it in our schools. We see it in our sports. We see it in our recreation. We see it at our family um, Thanksgiving dinners. We see this idea where truth must go. We must replace it with something else called truth. And not only do we replace it, we insist and demand um, that people um, would believe it. And for us, um, it's everywhere um, in our culture. And if we want to fit into our culture, we too must embrace what somebody else claims to be true. I mean, does anybody feel this? <laughs> um, it is all over the place. And we think oftentimes that it's new to us or it's new to history that somehow we're experiencing something the world has never seen. But here, um, at least, um, I take a little bit of comfort in the fact that Jesus experienced this in a trial in which um, he gave um, no answer. And for us, um, we also find in our culture, even when things are factually proven, factually proven, fact, something that is known to be true, <laughs> something that can be proven, when things are factually proven true, oftentimes the truth then changes what was said changes, and truth becomes something else, or somehow uh, you're an evil person for disagreeing in the first place. We feel this, right? This is happening to Jesus as they claim that he was misleading their nation, as they claim that he was forbidding them um, to give tribute um, to Caesar. And they also claimed that he is um, saying that he is Christ, that he is a king. That, that's true. He did claim that. As we move on in verse 35, Pilate asks, why have they delivered you over to me? What have you done? And Jesus responds um, by saying this in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. A couple things here just to note, and there's much that we could uh, really unpack on this idea of Jesus' citizenship, but he clearly points out through his life and even through his testimony here in this passage that his citizenship is not in Rome. Jesus is not a citizen of Rome, nor is he a citizen of Israel. Jesus' citizenship is far beyond both of them. We also see that Jesus answers to an authority other than Rome or Israel. And again, it's almost always about power and money. And here we are as Jesus is claiming his citizenship is other than the two people that are accusing him. We also see that Jesus' people are not defined by physical borders, and his people are certainly not the ones who are seeking to have him crucified. So as we continue through this passage, you're going to see um, Jesus talking much about this idea of citizenship. You're going to see as Jesus um, is placing himself, his citizenship, in a different place other than Rome or Israel, and you begin to see how it's affecting um, both his words and his actions. And Jesus goes on in verse 37 to make this incredibly powerful statement. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. You think about that for just a second. Jesus said, for this purpose I was born, 
for this reason I have come into the world. And he's about to tell you what that is. It's powerful. Jesus says, I have come to bear witness to the truth. Some of your versions might say that he says that I have come to testify to the truth. And remember, we're not just talking about words. We're talking about the fact that there's already been um, a sham trial um, that's taken place in the dark of night um, with the chief priests, that they have drugged him to the governor's place so that he also might be judged as they want to crucify him. They want him dead. And here he stands before Pilate, um, speaking of his citizenship, and he says, for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world. That purpose, the reason I am here, is to bear witness or to testify to the truth. And Pilate responds in verse 38, which seems to be pretty sarcastic. What is truth? Well, there's a couple of things that um, we can know by this passage that truth is not. Truth is not determined um, by the Jewish council, the false testimonies, um, and the illegal trial overnight. It is not determined um, by what they say, nor by what they decide. We can also um, clearly see that truth is not determined by Rome, by its governor, um, or um, this Roman court. Jesus is not concerned about what their outcome is, of what they determine. Jesus knows what the truth is. And Jesus says, the reason I've come is to testify to that truth. So what is truth? We've seen in John chapter 14, where Jesus said to him, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus himself, his own person, he is the truth. That truth and the definition of it is wrapped up in him altogether. We can also see throughout um, Jesus' life and Jesus' words as he's testified to truth and made many claims. We can see in Matthew 26 that he claims to be the Son of God as well as many other places. We can see in Matthew and in Mark that he claims to be the Son of Man. We see in John chapter 10 that he claims to be the giver of eternal life and one with the Father, that he himself is God. In Mark 2, that he is the one who forgives sin. In John 6, that he is the bread of life. In John 10, he is the good shepherd. In John 15, that he is the true vine. In John 8, that he is the great I am. In John 4, that he is the giver of living water. In John 8, that he is the light of the world. We also see in John 5 that he is the future judge. He is the one who will eventually judge us all. In John 1, he is the Lamb of God. In Luke 3, he's the, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In John 10, he's the door of salvation. In John 3, that he is the Savior. In John 4, that he is the Messiah. Luke 18, that he is the healer. So the definition of truth is not found in what any court is going to find in regards to him and his life. It is not found in any other person. It is found in his person as Jesus himself, and it's also found in his words that he is indeed all of these things because the reason he was born, the reason that he has come into this world is to testify to the truth. 
And he has done that all throughout his life, and he is doing it even here now as he stands before Pilate. And he also claims that those who are citizens of his kingdom, those people listen to his voice. And remember, he stands before Pilate and he stands before the chief priests of Israel. And he says those uh, who are citizens of his kingdom listen to his voice when really no one there is listening. They're not citizens of his kingdom. And we move on uh, to verse 38 uh, through 40 um, where uh, it says, After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. In Luke 23, Pilate discovers um, that Herod um, should hear this case as well. Not just himself, but Herod should hear it um, before um, he rules. It's clear. Uh, throughout this passage multiple times, that Pilate um, has no interest <laughs> in killing or crucifying Jesus. And he um, oftentimes will say, several times says, I find no guilt in him. And as he takes him to Herod, and um, they mock Jesus and uh, say all kinds of probably awful things about him and treat him incredibly horribly, um, Herod also finds no guilt in Jesus. So as Jesus returned to Pilate's court, um, he, noticed, <clears throat> he notifies the chief priests that neither he or Herod find guilt in Jesus, and Pilate agrees to release Barabbas and keep Jesus instead. We continue to move on with the sham trial, which is, this is also another sham trial, as this is happening in the wee hours of the morning when most people aren't even out of bed. And he has gone um, to Pilate, he's gone to Herod, he's now back. And Pilate um, has multiple times already said, I find no guilt in him. Herod finds no guilt in him. But if you really want me to keep him, you've got this custom where I release somebody this week for you. And um, they cry out for Barabbas to be released. As we move on to John um, chapter 19, in the first 11 verses, we see that um, the injustice uh, for Jesus continues. We've already mentioned multiple times he's had uh, these three sham trials, um, two of which he's found not guilty. Uh, he's had people lie about him as well as lie about um, why they even want him crucified. So now we begin to see um, some of the brutality that's going to happen against Jesus. We also see the willingness of Jesus um, to remain silent as he begins to suffer. And for us, this isn't just um, any suffering. It's not just that um, he was mistreated, that he had a sham trial. It's the fact that Jesus willingly is doing this because he knows he must pay the penalty for our sin. I don't know about you. Um, I hate it when people lie about me. <laughs> Does anybody hate it? I mean, it gets to the core of me. And um, there are times that I think that righteousness comes out <laughs> as that, and there are times that probably unholy anger <laughs> comes out uh, as I feel as though I might um, be lied about. But yet Jesus here, he doesn't fight that. 
He doesn't argue against it easily. He could have um, easily could have argued his way out of this, but he doesn't. Oftentimes, much of the time here, he remains silent and doesn't address um, these false accusations that are against him simply because he knows he must. He must move forward as we sing about so that the Father's will might be done, so that the sacrifice for sin for all time might be made, so that you and I someday might be here and know what it is to be forgiven. And those who have gone before us might know what it's like to be in the presence of the true king in heaven. So we see some of this brutality that starts to happen. We see that he is flogged or scourged. We see that the crown of thorns um, is placed um, on his head. And we see that uh, they mock him with a royal robe, and they beat him with their hands. Again, this is all to someone who multiple times has been uh, found not guilty. Jesus comes back out to the chief priests uh, as Pilate has done uh, these things to him. And we presume uh, that they're still outside the building, remaining ceremonially clean. Good for them, huh? That they don't want to defile themselves. And yet, um, here they yell out, crucify him, crucify him. All while desiring to be clean so that they might celebrate the Passover. Which again, the irony, so that they might celebrate the Passover as the blood of the lamb is about to be spilled. Not so that they might escape the angel of death one time, so that they might escape it for all of eternity. <clears throat> they remain ceremonial, ceremonial clean, staying outside. And Pilate again tells him he finds no guilt in Jesus um, and it's clear that if um, they want to crucify him, even still after beating him, flogging him, and mocking him, he still brings him out and says, I find no guilt in him. And he says, look, if you want to crucify him, you're going to have to do it yourselves. Well, they don't want to do that. They get their hands dirty. So they continue to, to cry out and, and make a show. Um, and they stoke the coals a little bit more. And they begin to twist the words of Jesus. In verse 7, they say that so we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Well, in that culture, in that day, uh, who was considered the lowercase s, son of God? Caesar. If you're Pilate, you report to Caesar. You know Caesar. It's a pretty brutal guy. Um, you don't want to be guilty of letting somebody like that off the hook, and they twist um, the words of Jesus um, to get Pilate to do uh, what it is that they want. And they imply that Jesus was looking to usurp the authority of Rome itself. But Jesus, um, again, refers um, to his heavenly citizenship. Um, He informs Pilate um, that he, Pilate, would have no authority unless God gave it to him to begin with. And as we move on to the final verses of of this passage, verse 12 through 16, we see that Pilate, he still wants to release Jesus. And the Jews continue to manipulate Pilate to get what they want. And Pilate finally relents 
in verse 15. It says, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests made incredibly clear where their citizenship was. It wasn't with God. It wasn't with God of their fathers. It wasn't with the God of Isaac and Jacob. Not with the God of Moses and Abraham. Not the God of the king David. And it's certainly not with Jesus. Their citizenship is with Rome. And in verse 15, they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to be crucified. As we begin to land the plane here and draw some conclusions from this passage, first, I think we need to see Jesus' willingness to be lied about, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be ridiculed, to be beaten, that he might pay the penalty for our sin. We've got to see um, Jesus in this light, that he's willing to do that for us, and he's worthy of our worship because of it. And second, um, because of these things, I think we should be strengthened um, to speak the truth no matter the consequence. Wherever it is that we go, people are asking us to bend the truth, to deny the truth. And in fact, they're asking us to claim that something is true that's completely not true um, and claim that it's true. (laughs) And continue to claim that other things are true when we know that they're not true. My hope today is that as Jesus faces these things, that we're reminded that we can also face them. And also to realize that Jesus' willingness to submit um, to the authority of another kingdom, I think should cause us to do the same. For us, as, as we begin in, in our culture and in our country and even our world, we begin to, to see the, the difference between kingdoms. <laughs> Seeing God's kingdom versus the, the earthly kingdom of which we live. I'm reminded that uh, we are um, aliens and strangers um, here in this world, more and more. Listen to these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. Think about all of the things uh, that we're asked to do as aliens and strangers in this world. It says in verse 1, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Well, that's enough, isn't it? Like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight, in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." That truth that God is working in us and building us up into being a spiritual house. That ought to encourage our hearts today. In verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me just read that again. But if you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For those of us that have bent our knee to Christ and we have received his grace and mercy and sought his forgiveness as we repented from our sin, he says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that we are a chosen people so that we might proclaim, so that we might proclaim his excellencies because he is the one who called us out of darkness into light. What great news. But there's more. In verse 10, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Not only are you God's people, before you weren't anybody's people. <laughs> now you're mine. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. If we're honest as God's people that he is building up into a spiritual house, we've got to also acknowledge that there is this war with our flesh that's going on. There's this war for us to be hypocrites at times, to lie, to deceive, to accept things as truth that aren't truth, um, to speak uh, poorly of different things, and so many things that there's this, there's this reality that our flesh still wants to do evil. Let's acknowledge it. And in verse 12, he goes on and says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Whenever you're not with God's people, which is probably going to be sometime today, conduct, keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you, when they lie about you, or even truthfully talk about the evil in your life, that they may see the good deeds and glorify God. But there's more. <laughs> Be subject for the Lord, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Do you know any foolish people? Any foolish people in here? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> um, I think we all can claim that title more so than we would, we would like to. 
So how is it that we live among people, that we submit um, to authorities um, even when they don't do what is right? God says, may they see your good deeds. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. Friends, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've been forgiven of sin, let me encourage you this morning. You are free. You are free. And even though um, you, whether it's here, whether it's in another country, um, especially in other countries where people are being persecuted, um, those that follow Jesus Christ, wherever they are, are free. They're free. And we should live with that in mind, that we are free. But not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but in our freedom, live as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subjects to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Do you have an unjust boss? Do you have an, live in an unjust country, state, city? Oftentimes, yes. It says, be subject to your masters with all respect, even the ones who are unjust. And he says this, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer, <clears throat> for if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. For us, we've been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He was wrongly accused. They lied about what he said. They lied about his character. They lied about who he was. It was unjust. But for us, we're to endure in the midst of that because Jesus did. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus' citizenship was not here. His masters was not Israel, it was not the chief priests, it was not Rome, it was not Pilate who held his physical life in his hands. Jesus' citizenship was in heaven. And if we were to continue to read in First Peter, which I would encourage you to do later, it goes on to talk about how we should live in our marriages, how we should be unified, humble, we should extend brotherly love, that we should have a tender heart, how we shouldn't repay evil for evil, 
um, but rather we should bless others. We should bless others. And that we should expect uh, for doing good, but always, always be ready to tell others about the grace and mercy that we found in Christ. We should always be ready to do that. Friends, our citizenship, it's not here. Praise God, it's not here. It is not here um, in this city. It is not here um, in this state. It's not here in this country. Our citizenship, for those of us who know Christ, is not even here on this planet. Our citizenship is in heaven. We acknowledge and we submit to another king, not the ones who are here. And because of that, we should live like it. Because of Jesus and his example here in John 18 and 19, and as we'll see in the coming hours of his life, we should live like it because Jesus did. He is our example. He's our king. So let's pray this morning as we close. Father, today, um, we can easily confess that uh, we've got much, much to do for our lives to look like Christ. There's much um, sin that's in our life. There's much that still needs to be transformed. But God, we're grateful for your word today that reminds us that uh, we're free. In you, we're free. No matter what anyone does or says here, that we're free. And Father, that we would be people much like Jesus who testified of what is true. That you might grant us the courage that we would be so rooted in your grace and mercy that we are ready at all times to speak to what is true and to take a stand. But God, that we would do that much like Jesus did. Help us to see you as king in our lives today and this week and for all the days to follow and that we would see Jesus as our king. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.